0: Welcome to another episode of the Victory Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Victory Baptist Church in Valdosta, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry and the impact it has had in our community for over 50 years, visit VictoryBaptistValdosta.com. Now let's listen to today's message from God's Word.
1: I have been here... Victory Baptist Church for seven years. And the men went into a business meeting and asked me not to come. And I didn't. But they voted unanimously to send me and Sister Sandra to the Holy Land. Well, we have four kids. And you know a mama ain't gonna leave four kids. <laughs> so I went with a group from our church. We had several of us. I'll name them in a few moments. Um, there was Brother Wayne, Sister Vicky, Shirley, and me, and uh, Tammy. Uh, we was all of that crowd that uh, loaded up and went to the Holy Land. I had never been out of Georgia, hardly been to Florida, maybe, <laughs> and uh, we flew in and landed first, we landed in uh, Paris, France first, for just a little while and I had to go to the restroom and I got in there and I saw high heels. (laughs) (laughs) So I left, (laughs) but there was one one restroom for everybody and I, I wasn't accustomed to that at all, but anyhow, we flew on and landed in Cairo, Egypt, and uh, I'd never been in a city that big. There's nine million people there at that time, and we went to eat supper, and they brought you an entrada of what you call that. What what you eat the first of the meal before you eat the meal? Anyhow, the Spanish come out. I'm sorry. You, Okay, whatever it's called. But I asked the waiter, I said, What is this? And he said, Oxtail soup. I carried it, told him, I said, Carry it back to the ox, please. <laughs> but it's times like that. Amen, amen. And if you've never been, every Christian, if you can afford it and you're not old and wore out like me, You need to go to the Holy Land, I promise you. It opens doors in that Bible that I'd never seen before. But anyhow, you can see us on picture number one before the Great Pyramid. I'm pretty sure that's what, well, I know that's what's in the back. Picture number two, you'll see me preaching on a Sunday morning on the Mount of Olives. And uh, I never will forget what I preached on. Not my will, but thy will be done, O Lord. Little did I know what I said. But I was, my eyes was open to the, to the... It was just unreal to nine million people and no Baptist church. And then we was in Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and I think there was one Baptist church that we knew of. And I, I preached on Mount Olives, and I came on home when we got through over there, just thrilled to death. And, uh, but something was bothering me. And then picture number three, that's Dr. Hyman Appleman with me in front of the old building. I've never met a man uh, any more spiritual than he was. And he come to preach a revival for us. And we just having a great time in him. He liked to pray me to death. But one morning, he wanted to go to a bookstore and get an up-to-date news uh, uh, magazine. And we just riding down the road and he said, Carlton, how long has God been dealing with you about becoming a missionary? I like to wreck the car. Nobody knew what God was doing with me, not even my wife. How God had impressed me to give more money. I thought I could buy them off. Well, how are you going to buy somebody off that owns everything? But I did that. We had more missionaries come in, started supporting more missionaries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I got a phone call one Saturday afternoon. The name is Cliff Brown. He was a missionary we supported here at the church, and he was in Mexico. And he said, Brother Allen, I'm home for a few days you like me to come and speak I said can you come in the morning Sunday morning he says yeah I said well come right on he said well I can't get there for Sunday school but I'll be I said that's fine brother Cliff Uh, that's fine no problem and sure enough Sunday morning he came in Well, uh, we had some visitors and I told brother Cliff said make yourself at home and uh, if you need something holler I got to meet these visitors and let them know I appreciate them being here. And we did. Come time for the service. I told the church Brother Cliff was going to preach, and he did. He stood up and read his text. May I read it to you? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard. Mm. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, we could have gone home right then. I knew what happened. And we, we had a lot of bus kids and, and grown people too. But every Sunday, there'd be somebody at the altar. that sunday i was at the altar nobody else i got up from there got behind the pulpit and i told the church you got to find your pastor i've got to go somewhere not in america but somewhere i had no idea where i was going what country or anything but I knew God wanted me to go where people had never heard the gospel before. And that was on July the 9th, 1978. Picture number four shows me and my family on the last Sunday. I preached the last message here at Victory that Sunday morning before we started uh Doing what's called debutation. Everybody knows what debutation is, right? It's where you get bald headed or gray headed. Right, brother? Amen. <laughs> but I, I did debutation and and did it quickly. Ten months we had our support uh, raised and uh we was ready to ship out and go, uh, me and the family. And uh We went and we we crossed. (laughs) We we go. We I asked other missionaries where, you know, was a good language school, etc., etc. And there was one in Queretaro, Mexico, and uh, Miss Georgia Webb was the head of it. She never got married. I don't wish she's still alive. Not, but anyhow we, we crossed the border. We I had an old Pontiac station wagon and we, uh, Hey, the hillbillies didn't have nothing on us. We had everything in there. You can name. And then some of something, we didn't know what was, but we spent the night with brother cliff and his family at the border and took off the next morning and started in and it was over a day's drive, of course. And, uh, unless you've been in a foreign country some of them don't the back roads and we was on a back road uh, they don't mark them too well but anyhow it's getting late in the evening and we stopped in uh, Victoria, Mexico and uh, went into a place where we got a room and it was up on the second floor and the shades wasn't closed the curtains didn't come together and here's a a carload of Gringos, me and my family, and uh, they would look in there and look in there, and we didn't. Only words we knew in Spanish was "see" or "no." Them two we had down pretty good, but uh, we. I remember we found somebody in the kitchen of that. They had a little restaurant there that could speak English or understand English. Of course, Southern, <laughs> you'll find out a lot of times, if you raised in South Georgia, there's a lot of people don't understand you. <laughs> we love Mexico. We spent a year and a half there, if I remember correctly, studying the language every day. And uh, I would go out on Saturday. with uh, We found a church, uh, and they, they required us language school to go to a church that was spoke nothing but Spanish and we found one and uh, there was a missionary there and he had a assistant at Mano Flores and uh, me and brother Flores would go visit on Saturdays and one Saturday he asked me to come back to his house or where he was living and uh, have something to drink. And I did. There was one chair in the house, there was no dining table. Well, y'all bought it. I couldn't stand it. And we got him a nice dining room set with chairs for him and his family. Oh. Glory. Hmm. <laughs> Mission. some people think, is about giving, and it is when you have the opportunity. We finished language school, came home for two months putting stuff together. I called a veteran missionary in Peru to ask him questions about what kind of paperwork I needed, this and that and the other. And he told me, he said, Carlton, they won't let you in, but six months. And then you're going to have to leave. I said, man, we done gone to language school and everything else. And I know God called me to Peru. I'd never been to Peru. I'd never met a missionary to Peru. But before we left here, when I was wrestling with where to go about three or four o'clock in the morning, I sat up in the bed and I said, Pedro, I didn't know. We had, me and Slick here, or Sandra, <laughs> me and Sandra <laughs> went to this the city library and got the, you know, the Encyclopedia book and looked up. Where Peru was, what language they spoke, the temperature, etc., all them things, and uh, got in our hearts, Peru. But uh, we f- flew out to Peru after my mama disowned me. Uh, I wouldn't ask the church not to tell my mama that I had surrendered to go. T- to the mission field. And they did. They, they they obeyed me real good. So after church on Sunday morning after I surrendered, I went to see mama. And I said, Mama, I got something to tell you. I'm leaving Victory Baptist Church and I'm going to a foreign land to preach. She said, You're not carrying the young are you? You have to be a grandparent to appreciate that. I said, yes, ma'am, my family's got to go with me. She said, no, them boys won't be able to play ball. I said, well, there's something a little more important right now than that. But anyhow, we arrived in Peru, and all this time uh, studying about Peru, reading about anything I could, I had an unction, or I thought I did, to, to go to the jungle and uh, we had a missionary, Brother George and Ruthie Burt that was up in the jungle with the same mission board I was with uh, Maranatha Baptist mission board, Dr. Crumpton, oh my lord what a man, but anyhow I ain't got time to cool. there <laughs> and uh, so Ruthie and George uh, called us and said, come on up and spend a few days with us. They was wanting to retire. And they wanted us to take their place in the church they started. And so we flew up there in uh, another world. Amen. Amen. And uh, we, we, we liked what we saw. To a certain extent. Sandra and I. Figured we'd go out on. Saturday by ourselves. Test our Spanish. And go visiting. People lived in little old huts. You wouldn't even know they're back there. You see a little trail. And then you'd know it. But we're handing out tracts. Inviting them to the church. And we went down a little pathway. Me and her. And come around a curve and there's a woman in her front yard and she had no clothes on and she was bathing. Did I give her a (laughs) trap? I don't believe I did. (laughs) (laughs) But brother George had led a man to the Lord in the market a man that used to live there and moved away eight hours by bus. And uh, the man invited him to come up to where he lived eight hours away and uh, preach and sort of teach him a few things about starting a church. And uh, me and Sandra and four kids and him and his wife, he had a, a... a truck, not a van, a truck. Me and the kids got in the back of that truck. She sat up front with George and Ruthie, and we headed out, an eight-hour eight hour drive. I never. I don't think I've been in the back of a truck since. <laughs> and it's hot weather, and it's a dirt road. And we got there, ate supper. We all had our sleeping bags. They had a big family. And they took bamboo, big bamboo, and split it and made the floor, which makes an uneven bed to a certain extent. But anyhow, we, we made it, got up the next morning. Before we, before we got up and started stirring around, I heard somebody killing a chicken because I recognized, because I had done it so much growing up, wringing a chicken's neck. And there was me and Sandra, George and Ruthie, and our four kids, I count right, that's 8. Her and her husband, that's 10. And I forget how many five children. That's 15 people. That she's going to serve with one chicken. She brought us a little bows, you know, what what she wanted us to have. And I think I had a a wing or a I forget, but I had a good piece of chicken. I looked over at her, and she had a foot. And the toenails were still on it. They started to ask, or was asking the blessing on the food. She punched me and said, this is, sw-. I said, I ain't swapping. Ain't no way I'm going to swap my chicken for that foot with toenails on it. Ain't no way. But Ruthie saw she was having a time with it. And Ruthie said, give it to me. Here, you can have my piece. And we had a, she fed all that people that one chicken. Amen. And he wanted us to stay, the the national nice man, wanted us to stay, me and George, and not rush right back home. He wanted us to stay, and he had questions about starting a church, what to do, what not to do, etc., etc. We had a service that night before, and uh, some of the people around and about uh, came, and there was a big river running right in front of his house, was up on the stilts and all, and we got through eating breakfast and, Mama said, okay, here's a toothbrush, put some toothpaste on it, get out there somewhere and brush your teeth. Me and Jed and the boys went and brushed our teeth. There's a little stream coming by the house. We took some water and washed our mouths out good. And... As Jed is, if you know Jed, he's got to find out something. He said, Daddy, let's go see where that stream's coming from. I said, okay. Let's go. We went up the hill just a little piece, and there's a hog pen. And that stream was coming right through the middle of it. I said, my teeth ain't clean now. Tell your story about the kids. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Um, number five. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. He was um, you were supposed to tell about the Las Palmas rallies Church. When we first went to Peru, I'll catch up on it a little bit. When we first got there, um, he decided there was such a great need for missionaries to help in works where missionaries had come and started to work and it was time for their furlough and they didn't have anybody to take over for them and they didn't have workers and preachers and all trained for it. So we had a missionary right at the beginning to ask us to, you know, if we'd take over their work for them while they came home on furlough and we thought that'd be a good idea to learn the language better and get um, more accustomed, you know, to the culture and everything before we went out on our own, and so that's what we did for the first year, and then the second year, the first, next year and a half, we took another church and did that, and this little girl was in our second church, um, it was the week of my birthday, and I received a birthday card from Stephen Jones's mom, sweetest card. And there was a $25 check in it. And she said, the Lord just impressed me to send you this and tell you, I want you to go buy a new pair of shoes. And I thought, how sweet, I'll do that. And so that Saturday we went out to the church and I don't know if you can see that little girl, good enough or not, you can't, not in that picture, maybe in that one, but her shoes were so ragged. And Carlton and I, we. We did as much, maybe, I don't know what you call it, but ministering to physical needs as we did spiritual needs. I mean, we, we ministered, of course, to the spiritual needs of the people, but we did a lot of ministering to physical needs, and we loved it. It was so rewarding. But anyway, this little girl, I spied her shoes, and they were so ragged. And the Lord spoke to me, How can you buy yourself a new pair of shoes with that girl wearing those? And so when we finished our kids' meeting that afternoon, I went and got the little girl, and I got a piece of paper, and I had her take off her shoes, and I drew her foot out on the paper. And then I cut it out. And the next week, I went to town and bought her a pair of shoes. I don't think I ever told your mom, Stephen. I don't know if I ever did or not. I intended. That's the reason I took a picture that day. I was going to send her that picture and tell her. But I don't think I ever did. But I'm sure she wouldn't care anyway. So, anyway, that was the story there. And you want to tell about Brother Stephen? Yeah. You want me to...
1: I know more about Brother Stephen than you do.
0: <laughs> well, you skipped over it.
1: <laughs> I, I think. I think uh, it was the second year, at Christmas time, that our pastor and his wife came to see us. And uh, now this might sound mean, but uh, while they was there with us a few days, and we was getting ready for Christmas dinner, a big dinner the ladies uh, was putting together, and I, I prayed not out loud around them. Lord, have a little shaking for us because we have earthquakes in Peru and they call them temblowers. But I I wanted my pastor to get introduced (laughs) to a (laughs) temblower. The ladies fixed the lunch, got the recipes mixed up, (laughs)
0: <laughs> I got to tell about this. Debbie and I, we had so much fun together. And Debbie and I and the girls were in the kitchen, and we were just having so much fun. And we, of course, our main, we were, we were preparing for our Christmas Eve dinner, and our main course was chicken and dressing. And we, um, we didn't get meal as we get it here, there. We had, we bought something. It was real yellow, and it was coarse. They call it polenta. And, um we we used it for grits and we used it for meal so i took the polenta and i mixed meal with i mean uh flour with it and we made the big thing of chicken and dressing and i know we made brownies and we made a pie and i think we had cookies and i don't know what else we cooked i don't remember but we cooked and cooked and cooked and our daughter julie went by the brownies and she picked off a little piece and tasted it and she said oh this tastes just like soap (laughs) And in Peru, they packaged everything in plastic bags. They package your milk in plastic bags. They package your flour in plastic plastic bags, your washing powder in plastic bags. Everything was in plastic bags. And all we could figure out was they had put the washing powder next to the flour, and it picked up the scent. So we had to dump the dressing in the trash and dump all of our desserts in the trash. And anything that had flour in it, we had to dump in the trash. And we hurried up. I think we cooked some rice and I don't know what, something just to fill us up. But anyway, we had a good time.
1: And we sat down to the table to eat. And I think Brother Steve might have been praying or me. Some of us was praying over the meal. And all of a sudden the tea glass started jumping across the table. <laughs> and oh, boy, look out. And she, Brother Steve told me the next morning, said, Debbie didn't even put her clothes off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I don't blame her. <laughs> All right, dear.
0: Christmas we were home for furlough. And um, Debbie wrote a little poem about our Christmas experience. and she put it on a platform and gave it to me for a Christmas present. And I want to read it to you. It says, "Last Christmas, twas the, twas the day before Christmas and all through the house, good smells from the kitchen everywhere could be found. Mechie stood watching in the window with care in hopes that a cookie or brownie would we, we'd share. And we did, and so Mechie just camped out right there. Mechie was a little girl in our neighborhood, loved us. She just loved us and our daughter Julie and she hung out at our house all the time. Dirty, dirty, dirty. <laughs> she was always dirty. One day she Julie, I mean our yeah, Julie, asked her to come in and she said, Mom. Can I wash her hair? And I said, sure. So she took her upstairs and she put her in the bathtub. She came back downstairs. She said, Mother, can I have one of those lice treatments? (laughs) We had to keep them all the time because half of the kids at our church always had lice, and Julie would get them. We had to doctor her almost weekly with lice treatments to keep the lice out of her hair. And I said, yeah, you can have one. And so she shampooed that girl's hair and washed her and scrubbed her down. And I heard her in a few minutes coming down the stairs and she said, now she's about probably eight years old, something like that. I heard him coming down the stairs and she said, now, Mechie, I got you clean. I want you to stay that way. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's Mechie that Debbie was referring to. And round the table in, in aprons stood Julian Ree. Rolling out cookies and laughing with glee, Sandra and I at the stove and the sink were busy just cooking and coffee to drink. When John snitched a brownie and turning quite green, oh mom, she cried choking, it certainly seems that there's soap in the flour. But what do you mean, asked the preachers, turning a ghostly white, for cookies and brownies are their heart's delight. "'Oh, no,' cried poor Sander, sitting down in despair. "'Why can't they bag things more carefully here?' Here, "'Oh, well,' she said bright brightingly, "'That's just Peru. "'We can eat without brownies and dressing, too.' "'So at last at the table, minus four or five dishes, "'with rice instead of dressing, which was just as delicious, "'we sat down and had prayer. "'What a wonderful meal, with good friends to enjoy it "'and fellowship real.' When all of a sudden came a roar and a clatter, and every dish on the table began to rattle. Everyone out, cried the preacher a ghost, so out the front door we all flew like a flash. It's only a tremor, said Jody, so brave, but tremor or no, my blood was quite drained. So shaking and trembling, we went back inside to finish our Christmas dinner that night. This year is quite different, everything is just so. Not an earthquake to frighten us, no soap in our dough. In all honesty, though, I have to admit, I do miss last Christmas at least a little bit. Debbie Ward, Christmas 1984.
1: (laughs) Have a few more pictures. I'll run them as fast as we can. As a picture of Julie when we was up in the jungle visiting uh, George and Ruthie. It's Julie with a little girl. And the, the little girl is the witch doctor's daughter and every day they went down you would notice a little pan there she, to, she come down there that little girl washing clothes every day the main reason is they probably don't have more than one set I remember a little boy coming to the church at Pru where I was pastoring and his brother was always with him And I asked him, I said, where's Jorge? He said, he had nothing to put on. His mama had washed, went down to the irrigation ditch and washed his clothes and they hadn't dried or nothing. And he didn't have anything to put on. I invite you to go on a mission trip. I invite you real good. If it don't change you, I'll apologize to you. But it'll flat change you, folks. You don't have to have missionaries to come in anymore and challenge you to give. You'll give. Greatest thing ever happened to me, other than my salvation, that God would ask me, to go where no man had been before. They'd never heard the gospel. Nobody had a Bible. Next Sunday night, I'm going to get into the, what showed you the church and all that God allowed us to build in Peru. If you got questions, I'd to answer them or we might be up at it.
2: I've got a couple of questions I had four tonight and I think you answered at least two of them somebody had asked how old were your kids when you went to the uh, mission field we saw that uh, someone else um, asked how did you know that God wanted you to go and I think you pretty well covered that tonight a couple of other questions one is um, uh, Sister Anna Uh, had asked this uh, what was your feeling uh, moving to Mexico moving to Peru as far as the safety of your family was concerned at that time back in the 70's and 80's
1: Mexico was real safe when we was there the drug cartels hadn't taken over now we went to Peru knowing that there's a group called the Shining Path it's a terrorist group, and uh, they're awful. And they was trying to take over Peru and turn it in a communistic uh, country. They killed my best friend. They shot him like you'd shoot a mad dog with his wife standing there and his three children. He was an American missionary. No, we wasn't safe. We got to the place that the men of the church wouldn't let me and her go nowhere by ourselves. It's better now, thank the Lord, if God knocks on your heart about going to Peru it's a lot better it's a lot more modern than when we was there but uh we had our times we've had our share of but god protected us and uh looked after us amen okay
2: it's good uh one other and um I guess I forget, I think it might have been Josh, I'm not sure, but uh, when uh, the times were really hard, uh, times that you felt defeated, obviously, Uh, is there a particular verse or a passage of Scripture that is kind of one that you lean on? I know that's kind of a a difficult, so many of them, but can you think of a verse?
1: Yes, I can. Matthew 28 Go into all the world and preach the gospel That never left me That wasn't a request From God That is a commandment from God That you and I Bear fruit Thank you for the Sunday school lesson My brother Oh how we need to get back To winning people to the Lord I said we so easy to get satisfied. Let me hush. I'll go to preaching.
2: <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank the Lord for uh, what we've heard tonight. I really believe these, these uh, messages that we're hearing will probably be more impounded in our hearts than some message I would have preached tonight or one of the other men would have preached tonight. I'm so thankful for these young people, my grandchildren and and, uh, and so on and so forth. I'm glad that they're hearing these stories about serving God and, uh, and hearing it from someone who has been there and done that. And uh, what a blessing that is. We're so thankful for the opportunities we had go down to Mexico when they were in Mexico and then go, uh, I went on two occasions when they were in Peru, some of you did. And, um, but uh, Brother Carlton's right the the mission field even if it's just for a few days and up until just a few years ago we tried to go there every couple of years we haven't been since we went to Puerto Rico a number of years ago but uh, it's something we need to think about in the future and uh, we used to take groups one uh, one time we were carrying 35 people twice a year down in old Mexico on a bus and uh, it it keeps you it keeps your church um, grateful and thankful and it just it just keeps you kind of in a spirit like he mentioned um, you'll give you'll support you'll be part of missions once you ever see it for the first time and so so thankful tonight for these uh, thoughts and and I'm now I'm, now I can't hardly wait next Sunday and uh, I know that you're that way would you stand with us tonight Tracy's coming to